Hello and welcome to Beyond Boundaries. My name is Justin Douglas. So pumped to have you with me today on this episode of Beyond Boundaries. If you want to learn more about me or find the show notes for this episode, you can go to pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact uh, there with feedback, comments, questions, or you can reach out via Instagram. I'm at Pastor Justin Douglas. Also, please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing. It really does make a difference. On this second episode of Beyond Boundaries, I sit down with Marge Kokel and we talk about her life story. Marge is a great friend. Every month, Marge and I go thrifting and get lunch together. I would call Marge uh, my Pennsylvania grandma. She's 94 years old, but the youngest spirit I know. She is somehow kind, loving, and thoughtful while also being bold and unfiltered. She has taught me a lot over the years and encouraged me in ways I am forever thankful for. I thought maybe it would be good for us to take one of our thrifting dates and do a podcast instead. So we did. And this is that conversation. Enjoy. I was born September 11th, 1924. 1924. And How old I always assure people that I was the first disaster. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so I was born 9-11. Oh, man. And, and that puts me at 94 as of now. 94. Wow. That's, you've lived a, 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 an amazing life, too, as I've got to know you over the years. And I'm excited for uh, some people to kind of get a glimpse of that today. So... Um, and where were you born? I was born at the Methodist Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. And you lived most of your life in, in uh, Pennsylvania, though, right? Yes. I, I think I was about six months old when my mother and dad and brother, we moved to Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you worked for Hershey and, like, I mean, I don't know where you want to start your story. Where should we start if you were telling your story? Well, where would you see, start with people? If I was telling my story, I would say that I went to Cheltenham High School. Okay. And it was a wonderful experience. I did every athletic thing you could do. I never excelled in any of them, but I did them all. <laughs> I swam. I played tennis. I was on hockey and... Uh, so on and so forth. And when I was a senior, I was headed to Goucher College in Baltimore, all registered and everything. And I took the academic course, but I took two electives, and one was typing and one was shorthand. So then when I was a senior, they came to me and said, instead of going to study hall, would you work in the office? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. So I worked in the office, and I was blessed with lots of wonderful friends, and I even managed to put them in detention hall because that was <laughs> one of my jobs in the office. <laughs> I'm sure you you just couldn't stand having to do that, right? <laughs> well, that, that, was, that was great, and we remained friends thereafter. And then a funny thing happened when I worked in the office. I, I was a pretty good left-wing hockey player, I did not know you played hockey. You yeah, played I, hockey. I did, and I was left wing, but I was always on the second team. But I was pretty good at that, and the coach just seemed to not realize I was as good as I thought I was. <laughs> but then when I worked in the office, there was payback time, 
because she never got to the top of the pile when she asked for anything. Oh. So I had a good memory. <laughs> you still do. <laughs> so then when it came time to go to college, the superintendent's office asked if I would come over and be the secretary. So instead of going to Goucher College, I remained working for the school district. Wow. And that went on for a while. She just went straight from high school to working for the school. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty rare. It was very interesting and very educational. Yeah. And what's going on at that time? Because, I mean, you were a child during World War II. Do you remember that? Like, do you remember? I mean, I remember... Uh, you know, vaguely the the Gulf War being on on the television when I was a child, like maybe like eight years old or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, um, what do you remember of that season I of like World War Two? Pearl II? Harbor. Yeah, and I remember where I was when Pearl Harbor happened. Where were you? I was just visiting a friend, and then mm. they mentioned it on the news, and that was all something I remember mm. very well. Yeah. Was it what was the what was it like? Um, was everybody assuming everyone was aware of that, right? Everybody and everyone was, was very somber. patriotic at yeah. that time, and it was a time of great um, volunteering. And yeah. I personally uh, did a good bit of volunteering, but one of the things I did was volunteer at the Stage Door Canteen in the center of Philadelphia. Okay. And I was about maybe 16, 17 then. Mm. And to get there, you take a bus, a trolley, and a subway. Yeah, and then when, wow. you, when you get there, they would tell you, do not bother with the smiling returned veterans or those guys. Look for the poor souls sitting in the corner mm. with their heads hanging down. So that's what I did. I found this poor soul sitting in the corner with his head hanging down. And he had returned from Pearl Harbor, where he was mostly staying at the Ambassador Hotel in Atlantic City, Mm. when they come back and rejuvenate them. Okay. And at the same thing, my grandmother, who was my most favorite person in this whole world, lived in Atlantic City, Mm. and I would visit her regularly. So you got to talk to him and kind of cheer so him up? So I or? got to talk with him, and then when I would visit my grandmother, I would look him up and see really? him. Wow. And time progressed, and time progressed, and we became more than just associates, and he asked me to marry him. Oh, wow. And, and so uh, we did just that. We eloped. I called my family first. We eloped and got married. Mm. and went directly down to South Carolina, where he was still in the service. Okay. And I took a job at a, as a bookkeeper, which is the biggest joke of all, because I never could add, and I still can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think, I think it's so interesting that at a young age in high school, you were serving other people, and even that you were directed to try to find the people coming back who were most in need because I've seen that as something that you do even to this day that you have people in your life who maybe have been abandoned by a lot of other people or are alone you know and 
you've been able to come in and, and be a support for them and be someone who cares for them and um, meets with them regularly. I think, I wonder how much of that seems to have been formed at a young age. At a young age, you, you were pretty independent, right? Well, at a young age, my mother was always in bad health. So I think where people around three and four and five years old are spoiled by their parents, I was a caretaker, really, of my mother. Oh, I see. And she had um, just a number of problems. She was physically pretty well shot and uh, sort of depressed. So uh, we were very emotionally close, and I was her. I can remember as a little kid even watching her get dressed and helping her get dressed. And mm. uh, yeah. she... she uh, and I, uh, it wasn't a thing like I was a spoiled little kid, like I see a lot of people now. I was, I learned at a very early age how to keep your mouth shut mm. because my father had another love interest, my mother had another love interest, and I never said a word about anything. Mm. So you were, you were serving your mom and, and, but in the sense of like taking care of her, so you were a caretaker. Yes. And, and where are you in the order of siblings too? Or are you? I have home? a brother who was two years older. Oh, okay. And he, as a young boy, well, he he we ended up well, we're just tight, close, yeah. crazy about each other. But as a young boy, he was very um, sickly, and mm. he was real good to for people to pick on and abuse oh, no. and. And so he was two years older, but I was sort of his caretaker. <laughs> and you were probably the protector, too. I, I think you told a, me some playground stories yeah, where I, you stepped well, in and were the protector, right? Yeah. Well, I can <laughs> tell you this funny story. I came home one day, and across the street there was a family of eight, and they were a family to reckon with. They bullied everybody. <laughs> so they had my brother, he was about seven then, tied to a tree, and they oh. were putting wood at the bottom of his feet, and they said they're going to burn him up. What? So I went home and got my Great Dane dog, who was my best of everything. And if you, you would have know, been like five at the time? I was five. <laughs> and, and, and my Great Dane dog, if you know Great Danes, they wouldn't bite you fly. Yeah. But I took him across the street, and I said, you don't release my brother. My dog will eat you up. And they released him. But oh, he, he, was, he was my buddy. He, yeah. He grew out of that, and... He, he educated me in the ways of the world and so on and wow. so forth. And it, what made me a pure, untouched woman for the rest of my life because he told me what he and girls did in the car. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so, but you were, you're, you're taking care of your mom, in some ways your brother, at a pretty young age. Like mm -hmm. before, before you're even in elementary school, you're already kind of assuming somewhat of a caretaker, protector Mm -hmm. position and then you become the protector of like secrets as you grow older and yes. get to know some of the uh, I guess darker sides of your parents and yes. their lives to each other or whatever you know and you got to hold that or you feel probably a pressure to hold that right at, at a young age I, I just uh I didn't want to do anything that I thought was not fair or right to them so yeah wasn't going to do any good for me to advertise it. Exactly. Yeah. So then, then um, you go to college, and or not college. No, you I, go, you go, you go to high school, and out of high school, you go right 
into the workforce and then um, you moved to South Carolina. And how long were you in South Carolina? About a year. And as I said, working for as a bookkeeper was the biggest joke anybody would ever have <laughs> because I, to this day I can't do math. Yeah, and then you moved back here after that then? No, after that we moved uh, to Penn State. Oh, okay, where State College. I okay. was lucky enough to put my husband through college for four years. Oh. And we lived there, and we had an apartment on the third floor right on East College Avenue. Okay. And for the first several years, I worked for the dean of the School of Education. I was his secretary. Okay. And... uh we did a lot of things like skiing and stuff, and I managed to break my leg. Mm. So then that was handy, going to work up and down those three flights of stairs with a broken leg. But I did it. And then the last year I was there, I worked for the dean of the graduate school. And mm. all of those work experiences were just marvelous. They were all great. And to this day, I still keep in touch with the people that are still alive. Oh, that's awesome. Now, did you have any kids while you were there yet? or No, I had a miscarriage while I was there. Oh, no. I worked that into the schedule. Oh, man. How was that? How was, how was it navigating being a young adult? I know a lot of people who have had miscarriages. How, how did you navigate that? What was... Well, I think I gave it a day because uh, I was not... Um, what you would call a spoiled wife at that time. Mm. It was a matter that I would take care of my husband. Mm. So I had a day off or two from work. Wow. wow. It's just a sideline. Man. I, and I know in your story you've had to endure a lot, like even just as a, as a young person being a caretaker, and, and I think that's just one other element of... Well, I have to interpose my grandmother because that had to be the happiest situation anybody ever had as a young kid. Okay. Because she lived in Atlantic City, and at age five, they would put me on the train at North Philadelphia Station. She'd meet me in Atlantic City, mm -hmm. and we would spend weekends together that to this day are still the best times in my life almost. That's awesome. So what she, would you do on those weekends? What well, would we do? would. That was at a time where you could turn a kid loose on the boardwalk and nobody would bother them. <laughs> and she would like to play one o'clock free bingo games. So I'd leave her in the bingo game and I'd walk up and down the boardwalk and go back and meet her. And awesome. then we would go for lunch at the Knights of Columbus 50 Cent Lunch Special, where I learned very early in life that it doesn't matter what you want to eat, look at the right-hand side of the menu because basically everything's the same, so see what it costs and get used to eating that. <laughs> you said 50 cents, so 50, 50 cents, cents for, for lunch? 50 cents for full-course lunch, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So That's we would amazing. hit that all the time, and we would have wonderful fun. So, So Atlantic City was kind of your safe space, your Definitely. harbor of yeah. sorts. And I loved it out of season, and I became a real beach bum, and I could walk oh. up and down the beach and loved it. That's awesome. That's awesome. How often do you go back now? Do you ever get back there and like just absorb I, the mem uh, memories? Because When sure I was married so to my last husband, mm -hmm. St. Joseph, mm -hmm. we used to go to Cape May, and oh, mm. that was just blessed. Yeah, yeah. And That's great. Um, so... So you guys are at Penn State, and then what, 
what happens? He, he graduates and you guys move from he, there? Is he that graduated what? in forestry. And in forestry. He, okay. Forestry. And he was very fortunate that I was a secretary because I wrote all his papers. <laughs> and that's while he's building model airplanes. Oh, my gosh. So it was, a, a, would you describe that relationship as a difficult relationship, quite, quite difficult? I would describe the 21 years I was married to him as the greatest challenge of my life. Mm. And I feel that I learned a lot. And it's yeah. something that I can always be grateful for. Mm. Grateful for the challenge, even for the difficulty. I like challenges. Yeah. And I think a lot of people see the challenges in their life as, as like, man, I wish I didn't have this challenge. It seems like you see a challenge as an opportunity to grow or learn something or push yourself. At least that's what I've seen in your life. Well, what I am grateful for is... Um, I think every problem that you get over will make you stronger. And I, to this day, when people tell me they have a big problem like breaking a fingernail, <laughs> I really would like to vomit, but I try not to. <laughs> but oh out, out, of, out of my marriage, I had two sons. Okay. And, and did, when you had your two sons, had you moved from State College I lived in State College when I had the son. Oh, okay, okay. And, um, no, wait, I told you, Fib, no, moved to La Trobe after State College. Oh, okay. Where he got a job as a Boy Scout executive. Oh, okay. And uh, and that's where I had my two sons. And one was born in 1951, and that was Randy. Mm -hmm. And one was born in 1953, and that was Bruce. Mm Mm-hmm. And after Bruce was born, well, while they it cracked three vertebrae in my back, mm. and that sort of laid me low, which was followed by a spinal fusion. Oh, now, while this is all going on, um, you're more or less taking care of your boys and yourself. Yeah. And wow. it was, um, and then also as a scout executive's wife in La Trobe your own call because whatever is needed for him to do, if he can't do it, you get to do it. Oh, man. So you, you get to be sort of more than one dimension to your life. Yeah, you have to balance a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And you're also balancing managing the pain of your back. Yeah, I mean, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel good. No, that and that's like debilitating type pain like it yeah, can keep it, you from it yeah. isn't fun how long did it take for you to recover from that or to get back to well a manageable it, place to tell you the truth something like that never ever really goes away for sure you yeah, always yeah. have a certain amount of it so you get used to it mm. but you're in such good health today like, i am a lucky healthy piece of work because <laughs> um i just had a physical this past spring and they thought they wrote it wrong because I aced it all. Even the blood, even when they ask you questions, they're not demented. I got them the right answers. Yeah, yeah. And like every time I see you, you're you're one of the just you're super healthy and you're I'm energetic just, and you're able to get everywhere you need to go. You're independent. You tell me that all the time. Oh, I'm an independent. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> no, that's what you tell me. <laughs> but oh man, but so. If, so you have both your kids, and you're also um, 
recovering from from your back surgery and, and what's kind of the next chapter that happens as well, your kids are growing up and as life's Well, when you're a scout executive, um, you, you're going pretty much, well, like my first husband was going in the summer for a camp, mm-hmm. so I had the kids all to myself, but he did come home on the weekends and bring his laundry, and then he could go back again. Oh, man. And then... Um, it, it was just a very interesting thing. And after La Trobe, we, uh, he got a job in uh, the Harrisburg area as a okay. scout executive. And you could live in Har- Harrisburg, Hershey, Steelton. So we opted for Hershey. Mm-hmm. And my dad was kind enough to drive me here. And we picked out a house. Mm. And in we moved. And the boys... Um, went to Hershey schools and uh, Boy Scouts and this and that and sports. And then after 21 years of marriage, well, while I was married, I I wasn't working then. Mm -hmm. So I was a a volunteer over at the Crippled Children's Hospital. Oh, wow. And that was very fascinating because... um, I was volunteering with the little boys from 9 to 12 every Friday morning. Mm. And when I first went for the first several weeks, I would come home and literally get sick because of seeing those little children so devastated. It would really physically make you ill. But then after a while, I did that for two or three years, after a while, when you see them, they're just normal bad kids yeah. when you get over the initial thing. Yeah. And they were precious, just precious. What made you want to volunteer there? Because, again, this is another, I think, uh, weaving in another element of you seeming to gravitate toward those who are maybe at the margins. or I, I don't know how I got there. Alone. I think somebody just asked me, and I don't recall, but I mm-hmm. wasn't working at the time, and the boys yeah. were in school. And, oh, I know what I have to tell you, too. I was a den mother for a thousand years. Oh, yeah. This I'll is, have to this tell is you that after. pride and joy. But, yeah. yeah, that well, when my boys were, um, well, these, well, the oldest one, he was time to get in a Cub Scouts, that would be seven or eight. Yeah. Well, I became a den mother because then, of course, my Tell people what a den mother is if they don't know. A den mother is somebody that meets with boys starting at eight years old until about 11 every week for forever, and they meet at your house, and... uh, you take them on trips, you do this with them, you do that with them. It's part of Boy Scouts, correct? It's part of Boy yeah. Scouts. And the, I could tell you a certain amount of experiences, which I will never forget. <laughs> What's so amazing is you still have relationships with many of these young kids that you, you know, and I've met some of them. Uh, and it's amazing the respect they have for you and the reverence they have with you. They really almost treat you like their mom. Like, well, I almost better than a mom because I, well, there was one little boy that came, and he was a very quiet little boy, easy to pick on, hmm. and he s- said to me, I heard you're mean. I said, that's right, sit down. <laughs> I am mean. 
But I, the boys that I had at that time, well, now they're not eight anymore. They're 65. And uh, there's one, two, three, four, five of them that I just, they're like sons. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't ask for, I'm just a very lucky person. And you weren't mean. You were just the one demanding like that they have some discipline and have some learn respect yeah. and I mean yeah, yeah. I they, they might have seen it as mean but I know I know what was going well, on there well somebody reminded me the other day that when I was taking them to the fire hall for you know just a trip to the fire company I saw a big boy picking on a little boy I stopped the car I told him now go stop that big boy from picking on that little boy so they knew I don't tolerate bullying yeah so somebody reminded me of that the other day. <laughs> Again, sounds totally like a Marge story. You see someone uh, in a position of weakness being picked on or being isolated or left alone, and you step in and either protect or comfort. I think that's so amazing. I still amazing. would. Yeah, you still do. I, I don't st- think you still would. I think you still do. I've seen you do it. That's amazing. So you moved to, moved to uh, Hershey. Uh, your husband's got a job in Harrisburg. You're... I'm volunteering, a and you're a housewife, and you're a den mother, and you're doing all of that. And and um, what happens next? Uh, well, the next thing that happened, oh, this is pretty good. I was going to the Methodist church at the time, mm-hmm. and my boys, especially my first boy, Randy, he was a naughty one. <laughs> and I guess it was one afternoon, the minister knocks on the door, and it was when... Um, We had a weekend, and I was cooking or something over there, and the kids were loose, and the minister's knocking on the door, and I was sure he was going to tell me my kids were bad because that was nothing new, (laughs) especially my first one. But at any rate, he didn't come to tell me about the bad behavior. He came to tell me that my husband died in Georgia. Oh, man. So that was quite a shock, Mm. to say the least. And so what I did when I heard that was my oldest son, Randy, he was 12 at the time, and he was was a a typical naughty boy with a big heart. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget sitting him down on the couch and saying, Randy, you are no longer a son here. You are my partner you are not going to be bad anymore. You are going to be good because I have to go to work as of tomorrow because we have a lot of debt. Mm. And so as of that day, and he said, he said, okay, Marge, and he shook my hand, and he said, from now on, you're Marge and I'm Randy. I said, it's a deal. Wow. And you probably knew how to communicate what he needed to know because you had to grow up fast. And so you probably knew how to communicate to him like what it would look like to to take on more responsibility and to grow up a little faster than maybe he was prior to that moment. Yeah, he straightened out very nicely because he wasn't a he wasn't what you call dangerous. He was just naughty. Yeah, yeah sure. And Testing the boundaries like all kids. Like all do. kids. Yeah. In fact, it was a good day when the police cars drove by and didn't stop <laughs> because he'd be the first one they'd suspect. Oh, but man. he has turned out to be what you would say the best son anybody would ever oh, want. He's great. I've met Randy. He's, a, mm-hmm. he's awesome. 
Um, so how did you receive that news? Like, how did that impact you personally to have lost your husband while he was away in Georgia? Like, what was that? What was your emotional impact there? Well, I knew very much that there was a certain amount of debt that had been in the family. Mm. And I knew that the best thing to do is get to work. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate, and the doctor that I went to as a patient hired me, and the next day I was at work in the doctor's office. Mm. And I told my two boys, who were 12 and 10 at the time, that they too were going to have to grow up because mm-hmm. they have to be responsible because I won't be home. Mm-hmm. And it was very challenging because when you work in a doctor's office, you work Saturdays, you work Wednesday nights, and so you teach them then how to cut the grass, how to shovel snow, how to do laundry instead of being bad kids. Yeah, how to cook, how to do all that and stuff for themselves. they grew yeah. up pretty quick. Yeah. Now, I know you and I have spoke at a lot more detail than we'll probably speak here about your relationship with your first husband, but was there uh, a sense of relief or a sense of, um, obviously the debt was a burden, but I know there was a, a lot of control and power dynamics in that relationship that had you um, often in a place where you were just feeling like you were the only one giving into the relationship or giving into the family. or I don't know if that's accurate, but I'm just saying like well, that's kind of a summation of some of the things I've heard. The 21 years of being married to him, if I put it mildly, mm-hmm. I would say were challenging. Mm-hmm. And when you are told that he passed away out of town, you half feel it was a gift from God. Mm. And I accepted it at that. And at that time, I vowed to be president of the Who Needs a Man Club. Mm. And I became even more independent. Mm. Yeah. And that's sort of what happens. And and when I had that job at the medical center, everyone was, everybody works hard and everybody works together. Mm -hmm. And it was a very nice experience. Yeah. So you were totally comfortable being single and being independent and and just doing that. But then something changed, something happened, right? You met somebody? Well, I, I, that was, let's see. How, how long did that, how long between? Well, there? it was about two years after okay. my husband died while I'm still volunteering at the, med- at the Crippled Children's Hospital. Uh-huh. No, where I wasn't volunteering... I was volunteering a little bit on Saturdays because I worked all the other days most sure. of the time. But then um, they... Oh, wait, I, I, I forgot Did something. we skip some stuff? No, Sorry, you I go forgot ahead and go something. back. When I was um, still not working and when I was uh, still married, uh, I would volunteer. They had come to me at the... At, the Elizabethtown Crippled Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. ask, finding out that I had been a den mother. Okay. And that's why I'm still volunteering on Friday mornings before uh. my husband passed away. And 
they said I could, am I available on Tuesday nights? Hmm. Because they were starting a Cub Scout den there, and the den, the the den um, chief, Cub Master, uh-huh. was not too good with uh, keeping things in order, and they had heard I do keep things in order. <laughs> they heard right. So they heard right. <laughs> so I went and I took my oldest son Randy as a den chief with me in his Cub Scout uniform. And the first thing I did was put on this ugly, ugly face to these kids who would come in with strollers and crutches and wheelchairs and then when they disappear again. And I told them right off the bat, I heard you are not respectful to your Cub Master. I said, I am mean, that's why they hired me. But from now on, you be good or you'll be sorry. But if you're good, you'll be glad. Mm. So I did that for about two and a half years while my husband was still living. Yeah. And then uh, then when I was still um, there on Friday mornings, all the uh, nurses would come to me and say, well, you see him on Tuesday nights. Tell him we like him, we'd like to be with him, et cetera, et cetera. Because he was a bachelor, and he was a handsome man, he was a perfect gentleman, and there's no reason in the world that where they wouldn't be after him. Sure. So every time I'd go on Friday, they'd say, well, can you put in another good word for us on Tuesday? So I did all that for about two and a half years. <laughs> and then... Uh, Things changed, and I had to quit that because I had to go to work. Yeah. And then how long until, what, you said two years? Well, then it was right after I my husband died. The cub master, his name was Joseph Kokel. He gave me a call, and he said that he had heard that my husband died, and if there was anything I ever needed... Since I was good to the scouts, he would be good to me. Mm. And thinking back, I he would take my boys uh, to the orthodontist and do different things like that. And then he would. There was a dietitian there that had the hots for him. So <laughs> they came to visit me one evening, and she looked around the house, and I'll never forget this. She opened up the boys' closet and said. When were you born? I said, September. She said, well, they're supposed to be neat and tidy, and this is a mess. And what she was really trying to do was ingratiate herself to Joseph and make me look bad, but that didn't matter. (laughs) But then this sort of uh, went on just a little bit like that. And then I guess a year after Russ died, I sold my, my kids wanted to do something. They wanted to go on a trip. So I sold my life insurance and took the two of them and me on a cruise to Bermuda. And the whole time on the cruise, they didn't like being cooped up in the stateroom, and they saw all these pictures of riding motorbikes, and can we ride a motorbike, and can we ride a motorbike? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. So 15 minutes off the cruise ship, we find motorbikes, and fortunately, they were on one together, and I was on one alone. And mm. 
I promptly, you drive on the left-hand side of the road, and promptly I crashed into a stone wall Ugh. and broke my neck. And this is after you had back issues. Yes. Oh. So there and I... And you're in Bermuda. I'm in Bermuda with the two boys alone. How old are the boys? They were 13 and 15. Oh, my goodness. So I am sprawled out on the ground and cut my head open in the back and couldn't really move. So one of them says, my mother's bleeding to death. And the other one said, that's the only parent I have left. And I was hauled away and taken care of in the most wonderful way you could ever ask. Mm. And it turned out I had a broken neck and I was paralyzed from the neck down. And when I was down there on the ground, now this is weird, I looked up and I saw a light, and I saw a shadow. Really? I did. You've and never told me that. I knew I knew you had gotten that wreck in Bermuda, but I didn't know you had seen something. I did. I saw a light. Was it like a spiritual? So it was like a spiritual experience. It was a huh? spiritual, and I said quietly to myself, "Thank you." Mm. And uh, I was down there in a striker frame for about six weeks. In so Bermuda you're now in Hospi- Bermuda. In Bermuda. For and six weeks. Six Where are your boys? Your boys My are still boys, there with you? There was a wonderful, wonderful room steward who would took care of the boys going back on the ship. And every Thursday when that ship was in dock, he would visit me in the hospital. Really? Really. Wow. And it was special. That's amazing. And then... So your kids got back and were taken care of My kids got back, and the people. doctor I was working for at the time, one of them, Dr. Hiram Wiest and his wife Suzanne, oh. took them into their home and oh took care goodness. of them all that time. So to amazing. this day, I have gratitude that will never go away. Mm. And we're still in touch. Yeah, He has amazing. passed on, but she's still around. Yeah. So then, let's see. So you're coming back from So that. then I come back. Oh, this was good. I come back on an airplane, all packaged in a cast from the top of my head to the bottom of my butt with air hole in the stomach so you didn't breathe, and my face was out, and my ears were out. And I promptly go back to work because I need the money, and that was my job. You had just taken six weeks off too, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah, that's tough. I, and yeah. they were so good to me, so... I was the first line of defense in my job. I was the telephone receptionist. Gotcha, yeah. So on and so forth. But it was about July then, and you get all kind of people calling the doctor's office. And this is one of my most memorable ones. This lady said she needed an appointment right away because she has a cast, a half cast on her arm, and it's so hot, it's July. And I said, I can take you today, but I can work you in tomorrow morning. Well, that's too late. That's hot. And she said, don't you know this is hot? I said, I do understand. I really do. How can you understand? And I didn't say any more. <laughs> but when she came in the next morning and looked at me, I told her I understood. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so you're working. You've got this cast. How long did it take to recover from that? That was a long time. That was all through the summer. And then I graduated to a neck brace. Mm. And I had no hair either because they shave your head. Yeah. And uh, I guess then when Joseph 
who worked at the crippled children's hospital heard about my accident, mm-hmm. then he would get the boys to send me get well cards. Oh, okay. And then he found out that I was playing postage on him, and then he sent me a dollar to pay for the postage, mm. for, to pay for the postage. Then when I came home all packaged up in plaster, he <laughs> would ask what he could do and so on and so forth. And then then I guess it was maybe, maybe two and a half, well, my first husband died in 66, and two and a half years later, Joseph and I were married, and he asked me to marry him, and I said, I don't ever want to get married again. I said, I've been married, and that's enough. And I said, mm-hmm. why don't you write out a list of pluses and minuses? I said, you'll find a lot more minuses. Mm. So you had a pretty low view of yourself, or at least what, like what marriage would be like. Yeah, well, I had enough experience with marriage, and I was managing, grazing two boys, and that was all that was important to me. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they were my life, and Joseph was a bachelor and the kindest man I ever met in my life, and he was a devout Catholic, and I was just a half-baked Methodist. (laughs) So did you, from, from there... Uh, well, let, let's we skipped ahead a little bit because you, you said he asked you to marry him. But what was the relationship like during that time? He was taking care of you in some other ways, or asking if he could help out. Did you guys have a period of dating or a period of like going out at all? Or? Oh yes, excuse yes, we yeah. he did invite me out for get out. It was when I got he took me to the brace maker. He took me here and there and invited me to go to spinners. That, What's that, the brace maker? What, what? Where I get a neck brace. Oh, so he... he, he I, took... I graduated from the plaster. Sure. And that, that was after a long time. Then I get a, a, a neck brace and it goes up your gotcha. head. And so he's driving you around. He's you driving guys are building a relationship through just probably being in the car together. and like, The kindest yeah. thing you could ever ask. Yeah. So then he invites me for dinner and I have no hair. And so... A neighbor was real nice and gave me some hair that put on the top of this ball head <laughs> with this neck brace. Oh and off goodness. we went to dinner at Spinner's at that time. And it What's was, Spinner's? What was Spinner's, Spinner's like? Spinner's is now down on Chocolate Avenue, and okay. it's got another name. It escapes me just now, but okay. it's down there. But what kind of place was it? Was It, it was like a, a fancy dinner place. Fancy dinner place, fancy okay. Dinner place. Oh, wow. And okay. it was very nice, and thereafter... We would go on little, I think he took me to the seashore for a day, okay. and we walked the boardwalk, and ev- eventually he talked about getting married again, mm-hmm. yeah. and then we got to the point where we went to the preacher, the priest. Now, but hold on, before we get there, so he asked you, you said no, I kept, and, then, and then you kept kind of, and he kept kind of insisting? Is that kind of what happened? Then, or what? then he said... I'd like to meet your father. Okay. Then we drive down to meet my father, because he had to be proper and ask my father if he could marry me. Wow. And then my father, first thing out of his mouth, he said, she likes to buy shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, so he, he did everything that a superhuman gentleman would do, 
And yeah, this is probably a good time to like pause and say, let's talk about Joseph's story. Oh, that would be wonderful. He had an amazing story prior to meeting you and prior to asking to marry you. You want to just give a brief overview of his experience? I should indeed, because he was Superman if ever there was one. Yeah. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about his experience prior to being in PA and prior to well, um, meeting he, you. He should really be called St. Joseph because he was born in the United States at White Valley, where it's out near Pittsburgh, and okay. his family origin were Slovenians. And his father worked in the coal mines in Pittsburgh, and his mother wanted to go back to Slovenia, and she took the children back to Slovenia, and that would be during World War II. Mm. So then when the Germans invaded Slovenia, they knocked on his door Mm. and said he is going to join the German army. And he was about 18 at that time, and he said he was not going to join the German army because he was an American citizen. So they put him in a concentration camp for four years. Mm. And in that four-year period, his one hot meal a a week, basically speaking, was boiled potato skins on Sundays. Other than Mm. that, I don't know what he ate or how he did it. But he came out of the concentration camp with no teeth because they knocked him out. Mm. He He weighed 86 pounds. And he had tuberculosis. And when he got out of the concentration camp, he won't speak too much. He never spoke too much about it. You just got the bare essentials. Yeah. But it certainly made him what he was and made the impact on how he lived his life like a pure saint, which is what he was. Wow. And he uh, then went to out near Pittsburgh again, Mm. where he worked as a brace maker. And then after some time there, that's when he um, went to Elizabethtown and was making braces there. But his, his life was so, so, so severely uh, programmed on that survival method. And he never lost his faith. He never lost his kindness. It just got more and more and more and more. Wow. So from 18 to 22, he yes. was in a concentration camp, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he saw all kinds of things he, that he, you said he And never he would never talk about, about it. Yeah. Mm-mm. And, I mean, the, the one... Uh, yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. The fine. one thing that he must have learned as a real lesson, he had, as a Slovenian, he always would use, he'd say V for W, and there's one thing he could not stand in any way, shape, or form was the waste of anything, especially food. Yeah. You don't take anything on your plate you're not going to eat because having been hungry for four years, he wasted nothing. Yeah. And then when we had a flood, I'm digressing but getting ahead of my story a you're little. Fine. We had the flood in Agnes in 72, 
mm-hmm. when everybody was throwing their food away and, and lined them up in the alley in garbage cans. Mm. He'd go through all the garbage cans and take out all the food and bring it home. Wow. It was... Yeah, I mean, when you live in that survival mode, it's yeah, hard you, to... You never get out of it. It's hard to get out of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing that he still had the capacity to be in a healthy, loving relationship even after enduring all that pain. It, it was amazing. And I think his faith, his, really, yeah. his big faith got him through it because he was very devout in his religion. Yeah, wow. So um, so you knew all this going in, obviously. You knew his yes. backstory and, and mm-hmm. got to know him and got to hear... His experience. And, and we would uh, visit his family, and uh, he took me out to visit mm. his niece and those before, on a weekend trip before we ever, uh, you know, I think we were engaged then. Yeah. And he was so proper, 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 proper. <laughs> he was so proper. Yeah, and so so you guys end up getting married. We we. First, we went to the priest Okay. before we got married. How did that, how'd that conversation go? <laughs> well, the priest was, they, they, are, they ask you all these questions. Yeah. There were many that they asked, but I can remember too vividly. He said, are you going to become a Catholic? I said, I'm not even a good Methodist, <laughs> and I would be a very bad Catholic, but I will not interfere with any time or money he wants to spend in the church. I will support him. Mm. And the other thing was, if you have children, will they be raised Catholic? I said, he can raise them any way he wants because I, they will be orphans because at 44 years old, I will kill myself. <laughs> so those were the two I recall. Uh, and he but, was like, that's enough. I'll marry you guys. Yeah, Is that pretty well, much what he said? Then he said <laughs> he, he has no worry at all about us being married because most people tell him things they think they want to hear. Mm. And I said it straight out. Can I say that's one of the things I appreciate about you? You say it like it is, Marge. And, and I think that's such a good trait. And it's not that you say it like it is, like you're trying to be mean. Because I think there's some people who are like, I'm just saying it like it is and they're they lack compassion, you know, but you have a lot of compassion, but you don't sugarcoat the hard things, which I think is uh, really good. Like, I think there's something good about saying, saying it plainly, you know, and, and you have a way of doing that that doesn't come across as mean or aggressive in that way, but more just direct and plain. And I appreciate that. Well, I thank you for that. But see, as you get older and your memory fails you, if you, you don't have to remember what lies you said. If you just say it, then it's, it's there. <laughs> Your memory doesn't fail you, though. You have an amazing memory. That's what's so great. Uh, so, so you guys get married, and, and, and what's that like? I mean, I, from what you've told me, I know it was just amazing. It was like truly being born again because wow. all of my life up until then, I had been the doer, the doer, the doer. Mm-hmm. I had never really been so spoiled in my life until mm. the day I got to married to Joseph. And I mean spoiled, 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 Explain spoiled. some of the ways that he spoiled you. I can't, there was nothing he didn't do to spoil me. I mean, he outguessed any desire I might would have had, and then he did it. And he, well, I was working at the time, and he would meet me, and I was... You have no control sometime when you get out of work, and mm-hmm. he was always patient. 
it was just, it was like a heaven on earth marriage. Mm. And I guess, um, well, we, we were so, so blessed. We went on 32 elder hostels. And mm. we had the best times. And what are those elder hostels, meaning like traveling? and? Well, you go to, say you go down to Williamsburg sure. for a week, stay at the lodge, see the backings and the ins and the outs of the whole operation of Williamsburg for like a tenth of what it would cost you to go there on a vacation. Okay. So we did 32 elder hostels. We wow. went everywhere. And we traveled. We took cruises. We lived it up when we got the Mm -hmm. opportunity yeah and then as time progressed and uh he managed to get alzheimer's Mm. and uh what was that like journeying through that was another education that you'll never forget Mm. because um it's it's a progression of watching the person that you love just slowly deteriorate. But unlike most people that get Alzheimer's, and I unfortunately have a lot of experience with that too, is he was never anything but good, kind, sweet, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I took care of him at home for nine years. And I couldn't... It finally got to the point where you really got physically ill so I had to yeah. put him in Country Meadows in the Alzheimer's unit. But I would go over every day at lunch, and I would go over every day at supper, and I'd spend just about the day with them. Mm. And you learn a lot. And um, you see other people with Alzheimer's. Now, Joseph, having grown up without things, he had interesting little quirks. Like, he would never throw anything away, so if they put flowers out in all the tables for decoration, they'd end up in his room in his drawer because he didn't want them to go to vaste. Yeah. So he would collect things like that. <laughs> and then he he was a very gentle, kind soul, yeah. and it deteriorated and deteriorated. And then you... Uh, have to take another step and go to another. He fell down and broke his hip, mm. and so I went over. We went over and had a sip, and I stayed on the floor in the room with him because uh, at that point he couldn't really communicate. So then they went from Country Meadows to Fry Village, where they have different kind of care, yeah. and that's over in Middletown, and they were very good also. And I was over there every day. Also. And around what year is this taking place? Right now, passed away in 1986. Okay. And um, And is this toward that, right around that time? It was, uh, he passed away December 17, 2000. Okay. And, uh, sorry, he he passed away December 17th? 17th, and his birthday was Christmas Day. Oh, okay. He was the second coming of anybody. So he passed away in 2000, but where we're at in the story right now is... We're, We're about in... 2000. In 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was it was toward the end that he got It was got toward the end, and the... it's amazing how God does guide you in this world because I never would go over before lunch. And this mm. particular Sunday, for some reason, I decided I'd take the newspaper and just go over early. 
And I went over to Fry Village, and there was somebody waiting at the door for me. said they were trying to call me Mm. because he is just about gone. Mm. And uh, I went in, and we were holding hands, and I was there when he passed. And that was another good gift. Hmm. Hmm. How how long did he battle with Alzheimer's then? Like ten years? Pardon? Was it like ten years ten of him years. battling mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's then? Wow. And we would take trips when he had the Alzheimer's, and so hmm. you'd learn to be a shield. Yeah. Early on, it was pretty easy, probably to manage. Oh, it got progressively yeah. more difficult. But he never got that? to be mean or ugly like yeah, people that's really do. Good, never, yeah. never, never. Yeah. Not a mean. Now he might have been. At the end, the only thing he could eat or drink was thickened water. And most of the time his head was laid over and his eyes were closed. Mm. But if I gave him thickened water on a spoon, he would take it. Mm. If anybody else did, he'd smack their hand. Mm. But he always treated me like I was something special, but he was the one that was special. Wow. Wow, so it's been now 18 years since he passed then mm-hmm. coming up here soon like because we're in December right now so so what what's got you through the last 18 years I know I know um, in my experience as a pastor a lot of people who lose their spouse especially at, a, at an older age um, it can be very difficult for them to to go on there's even like there's a legit thing called broken heart syndrome like that's a real thing I've, I've learned so how did you endure that on top of everything else you've endured in your life and and continued on and kind of... Well, you get a pretty good education when you're with someone with Alzheimer's. So then what you do is try to help other people who are in the same fix. Hmm. And uh, I went to Alzheimer's meetings, and I, I can remember one time telling them that you can read all the books you want on Alzheimer's, but one of the things they're not going to tell you that you're going to regret later in life is if you think it's too important to go to the grocery store than to lay with your husband and hold hands when he's going to sleep, lay there with him and hold his hand because you'll have a guilty feeling if you don't. And I have no guilt whatever about my wow. time with Joseph. So you savored every moment that you, that you could with him. Wow. That's amazing. I think that's a that's a good testament to to many people today who are married and in relationships to to savor those moments. I even think as a parent, it's like sometimes you can have the task list in your head of all the things you got to get done, yeah. and that can drive how you operate that day. And, and and certainly we have tasks we need to get done, but then there's opportunities of like even this morning, my kids were had the TV on in the, in the living room and had music on and we're dancing. And it's like, you know, sometimes when they're like, dad, let's dance, get up. It's like, um, do I do that? Or do I say, well, I'm in the middle of, I got my laptop open. I'm in the middle of work or I'm in the middle of something. It's like, you know, sometimes it's recognizing and being awake to see the more important thing. And it seems like your lack of regret was something because you, you were awake to like being, present and aware um, of those opportunities that you had with Joseph and taking each one. Well, I just think God gave me that gift of Joseph, and he was, he was so pure and so good and so perfect 
that um, it was a taste of like something you've never seen in your life before. Mm. And um, the only person I think that I have to live with really is myself. And I, I'm at peace with myself. Yeah. So what do you do these days to pass the time? I stay busy. <laughs> you do stay busy. <laughs> I am very, very, very fortunate. The people that I work with still talk to me. My boss still takes me out for dinner. The coworkers still associate with me. My all, these are all your former bosses and all your former yeah. coworkers. Yeah. yeah. And we, we never said you worked for Hershey for a little bit. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I worked for Hershey for over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where... In fact, I didn't behave too well at Hershey when I worked there. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine Marge that. getting into trouble. Marge, Marge <laughs> was always Marge, and Marge worked at Hershey, and I'm a hard worker, and I work, so I didn't have to do any kiss-loving of anybody's butts. Mm-hmm. So the different CEOs were all wonderful that we had a great relationship, and uh, there was one in particular that before I ever went to Hershey to work, he and I were co-presidents of a Sunday school class. Oh, okay. So we were, quote, friends. Yeah. So just because he was CEO didn't mean I wouldn't goose him when he was walking <laughs> up the hall, and it wouldn't mean I wouldn't lock him in a closet, <laughs> and things like that. Oh, Marge, you would have been so much fun to work with. I could just imagine a work day with, with Marge in the office it running was, things. We had great, great, we worked hard and played hard. Oh, I bet. That's awesome. That's so good. That's so good. So today, you keep busy. I know you, you go visit a lot of people who, yes, are, who are in nursing homes or who are, um, I would say a lot of people who are, who are forgotten, whether that's by their family or by their friends or just uh, don't have a whole lot of people that are present in their lives, you're kind of filling that role and being present and caring for them, like serving them in a tangible way. I was out at a Christmas party last night at Columbia Cottage mm. where I visit regularly a mm. person who actually doesn't have any visitors, so to speak. And that's rewarding to me because he also has some mental problems and having that experience with Alzheimer's people, I'm able to help in that. And if you go in and see somebody all riled up and you leave and they're quieted down, that makes you feel good. Yeah. And I have a couple customers that are in nursing homes I like to visit and... What an amazing testimony, though, to be 94 years old and to still be like, I got to give back. I got I to gotta help others. I got to, part of my purpose. I think so many people see life as like this, I'm, I'm trying to get to retirement so that I can sit on a beach and sip pina coladas. So it can be all about me now. Like, I've put my time in for other people, whether it's an office job, nine to five, or volunteering or raising kids or whatever. Now... Um, I've got the retirement fund. I'm going to kick back. It's going to be all about me. And I think that's such an interesting finish line for a few reasons. First of all, I think the moment you get there, it's not really what you want. Um, it doesn't fill the hole. It doesn't provide purpose or meaning. Uh, and, and it's certainly, it might be great for a vacation for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. I think we all need rest oh, and relax, yeah. relaxation, especially if you've been 
working in a corporate job where you've just been, you know, punching the clock all the time, that may fill your soul for a couple months more because you need the rest and relaxation than actually that it's providing you meaning or purpose. But eventually, um, retirement, at least as many of us paint it in our heads or have been taught to paint it in our heads, is, is, is really selfish. And it's not something that, um, uh, you know, provides meaning and purpose. And so you're in a place where like, I see you at 94 as an example for someone who's 18 coming into adulthood, like serve, like be, be present with other people, find other people that you can pour into and care for and, uh, that you have the ability to lift up, go find those people. Um, and you're doing that at 94. You're not, you're not like, I, I got to get on your schedule when I call you to me. I'm like, Marge, let's meet. We're like emailing back and forth. And, 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 and I've got to find a way into your schedule because you're like, I'm meeting so-and-so on that day. We're having lunch or I'm, I'm going to be out, out at you know, Columbia Cottage on that day. Or, and you have commitments. Like it's not just like, oh, I'll pop in whenever. It's like you, you're committed to these things. They're part of your um, schedule and part of what you're pouring into. I just think that's so amazing. Yeah. I'm blessed. Yeah, but you're blessed, but you're being a blessing to others. And I think that's, I think that's the, that's the interesting, unique thing is that as you're blessing others, you're blessed yourself. And I think some people miss that, that, that exchange, right? Mm -hmm. One of the luckiest things that happens to me, I've had two very, very dear friends in my life. They both have passed on and I was with them for the years when they were having trouble. Mm. But I, I think I must have visited Masonic Home 20 years to visit my friend Hilda. Mm. And she was my dearest friend. Now her son, Kenny, and his wife, Mary, every single month take me out to lunch. Really? Every, and then my other dear friend, Betty, whose sons I also had in the Cub Scouts, and her daughter is my godchild, they're still can't do enough for me. Mm. And there again, I took care of her and her yeah. times. But they were my two dearest and deepest friendships, and uh, I was there for them, and now their family's there for me. Yeah, and that's, that's amazing, too, because a legacy of giving and service and gratitude um, toward others really does create, like, this community. It does. Uh, uh, and, and you have so much community. Uh, I even think of one time I came over to your house and there was someone, I think, raking leaves. Um, that's and that's one of your, one of your my, uh, former... My uh, neighbors. Oh, yeah. oh, your neighbors. I have yeah. to get into my neighbors. Nobody in this world has better neighbors. <laughs> I mean, nobody. They spoil me rotten. Yeah, your neighbors do. But this wasn't your neighbor. This was one of your former den boys, right? Wasn't yeah, he that, there? Yeah, he yeah. was a Cub Scout. Yeah, he was a Cub Scout. He yeah. was Betty's son. Okay, okay. And, to, well, he's the one that... Uh, my basement's always leaking, leaking, leaking. I yeah. did, I t I did yeah, tell yeah. you about And he's the one that arranged for me to have a sump pump put in my basement. He arranged the plumber. He arranged the price. He arranged everything. Wow. Now, who would care that much about some old bag's basement leaking all the time? <laughs> but but I, wasn't, I didn't spoil the kids. I took them on all kinds of trips. I took them to Annapolis and everywhere. And yeah. they'd get in the car, and they wouldn't buzz. They listened. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing, though, because I think that's that's a testimony, I think, to the beauty of serving outside yourself um, and and the fact that we're designed, I think, in, in a way to 
to care for one another, like to, to serve others. And I think that, you know, obviously as a pastor, um, I think central to the gospel is that we're to serve other people um, even more than we serve ourselves. Like there's something um, beautiful in that imagery of us laying down ourselves to serve someone else. Like there's something beautiful there. Um, and you've done that, but often what's seen in that is like a weakness maybe, or, um, or it makes you weak. I mean, I think just some people have that imagery, but what's amazing is it makes you not just strong as a person, like so much of what you've been through has made you strong as an individual to endure things, but it's also made you strong in the relationships you have. You have so many committed relationships with people who, um, because of the time in which you served them and the way in which you served them and the commitment in which you served them, um, there's now a bond there that can't really be broken by anything else, which I think is, is the beauty of caring for one another. It unites us. Like when we love our neighbor as ourself, mm -hmm. it actually, there's a unity that happens there that uh, a bond, like I said, you know, so you, yeah. you have so many of those. I have such a good bond with the people I've worked with. To, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's just a gift. And I, there was one guy that I worked with, and I warned him that he was going to get canned, so quit before you get fired. And he didn't. <laughs> and we meet regularly. He and his wife just passed away, and oh. we we just are always there for each other. Yeah. But I would like to say to you, Pastor. Oh, you are a gift to not just me, but to everybody that's lucky enough to have you. And I couldn't mean it more. Oh, Marge. Thank you for that, Marge. Marge, you're, you're, you're a gift to the bridge. We, we love having you at the bridge. Well, hey, we'll have to do this again sometime. It's been awesome to hear your story. I'm sure there's so much more of it that we could dive deeper into. And do you have anything you want to tell people who are processing this? Maybe anybody who might be considering volunteering and serving or someone who's maybe um, going through a season of difficulty, whatever, you know, you've been so we've touched on so many different topics. Is there any way you want to wrap this up or encourage people who, to learn from your story? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that strikes me funny is when I talk to people and they're going to have a real busy week because on Monday they're going to go to the beauty parlor and on Tuesday they're going to have their toast have a pedicure, and then they're going to have a massage, and their whole week is taken up. And I thought, rather you than me. Wow. So, <laughs> so the moral of the story there, get outside yourself, do something for somebody else. Maybe is, that would yeah. be, well, that would be not the way I want to live, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's amazing. Thank you, Marge, for taking time to share your story and just share what you're about. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Justin, for sitting here and listening. <laughs> Boom. There you have it. Marge's story. What an inspiration to get outside ourselves and to consider others. Hey, it was great to have you with me today on Beyond Boundaries. Again, if you want to learn more about me or find the show notes for this episode, you can go to PastorJustinDouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, and questions, or you can reach out via Instagram. I'm at Pastor Justin Douglas. Please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing. It really makes a difference. And I'm really going to emphasize subscribing today because I am at Q Conference. My flight actually got canceled, and I'm sitting in a hotel room late on Sunday night as our flight is going to go out tomorrow. And... 
I've had the opportunity to interview multiple people while I'm here at Q Conference. Interviews that have been very powerful. Uh, I would really encourage you to hit the subscribe button to make sure when those come out, you get to listen to them. I just spent about two hours in my hotel room interviewing a couple and many tears were shed. And I think it's going to be a very important podcast, uh, a very important episode on, uh, on their life story. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say for right now. But I just want to encourage you to keep coming back and share this with your friends, uh, especially some of the episodes that are coming out, because I think they're going to be very powerful. As always, I'm going to sign off this way. May you go and live a life that is beyond boundaries, giving others love, exploring new ideas, and championing belonging.